From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. Hey everyone, I want to let you know we have a guest speaker today and you're going to love him. His name's Pastor Dave Tunakaitis and he comes all the way from Welland. We were on staff together when I worked at Faith and I love Dave. I don't know anyone who probably is a better listener, who cares as much as Dave and is incredibly funny. And I hope that you're blessed today by the word that he brings. And I hope that you can give him a very warm welcome from Parkway. So God bless you today. Enjoy the word. And Pastor Dave, thank you for being with us this morning. Well, good morning, Parkway. It is so good to be with you this morning. What a great atmosphere in the house. That was amazing. Um, as Pastor Call said, my name is Dave. I've had the privilege of being on staff with Pastor Call at Faith Welland uh, before he left the Niagara area so selfishly to come here to Parkway. And uh, I just consider this a tremendous honor to be here this morning. Um, we're going to start by just looking at a very, very simple verse that is found in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7, verse 8, where the Bible simply says this, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Now, I love this verse just because of its simple truth. It's a true statement that has a practical application to assist us not only in our spiritual journey, but you can see this uh, truth played out in the natural world as well. And I find this is what God often does. Like God has a way of just making things so practical for us. Now, I know the Bible does say, obviously, that his ways are beyond our ways and his thoughts are not like our thoughts. And there are times where it's difficult to get our finite minds to wrap around the thoughts of an infinite God. But there are so many other times where God just makes things so simple because he wants us to get it. And he makes such uh, simple illustrations or analogies, or he considered Jesus with the parables, or just simple statements like the one that we're looking at this morning, where it says the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. You know, again, if you just consider the ministry of Jesus Christ and the way that he would speak in parables, and he would say a farmer did this, or a fisherman did this, and he would do that to explain a spiritual truth, just to teach practically about the, the, the kingdom of God. And he would do that so that people would leave after listening to Jesus and say, ah, I get it. I understand something more now. And if people weren't quite sure, you will find examples of the disciples going up to Jesus just to make sure they got the lesson and say, Jesus, I know you were talking about this, but what's the real lesson? And Jesus then would take the time to explain exactly what the parable meant so that they would uh, leave with the spiritual application of what Jesus was trying to say. And God makes his principles so plain as well. I mean, how many of you enjoy at times just reading through the book of Proverbs? It is just so full of practical little nuggets of wisdom that you can apply to your daily life even now. It's just, man, that's just good stuff. That applies right now. And uh, that is also true for the verse that we're looking at this morning. Um, for example, I'm just going to give you an example in Proverbs. We were just coming out of summer, 
And so you're probably not dealing with ants anymore, I don't think. Do you get ants in Corona? We get ants in Welland in the springtime. They just sort of like come into your house and they're so annoying. But it's interesting that even the lowly ant can teach us a spiritual lesson. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 6, 6, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. And so it's an amazing thought to me to think that even the lowly ant can teach us a lesson about God as we just look at it and consider its ways. So there you are in your kitchen, and you look over and you see an ant or a few ants hauling some food across your floor to a different place. Now, because of what the Bible says, you can stop and go, huh, look at that little ant. He's reminding me that I should be diligent. He's reminding me that I should be, I should be more self-motivating, that I should be hardworking. I can learn some lessons from this ant. He's also reminding me that I need to get some ant traps. Thank you, Lord, for the morning devotional. It really spoke to me. Now I'm off to Walmart to get me some ant traps. The point is, if we are willing to hear, God is willing to speak, and he speaks in a whole variety of ways. And so therefore, this little nugget of wisdom, where the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride, is no different. And you can see the reality of this verse being played out all the time in your life. How you finish something is more important than how you start. And patience is better than pride. I mean, even if you think about this using a sports analogy, people can talk trash all they want at the start of a race. They can do all of their stretches and their leaps and they can puff out their chests. They can make all kinds of great bows. They can talk to you about their great times. They can trash talk their opponents. They can be full of pride. They can remind you how fast their previous times were. There is no shortage of things people can do at the starting line. But the winner's not announced at the starting line. The winner is the one who endures to the end, the one who crosses the finish line. A few years ago, my son's travel soccer team uh, was entered into an international soccer tournament in Italy. Now, during the opening ceremonies of this soccer tournament, the Canadian team was just being trash-talked by all the other teams, especially because they were coming to Italy to play in a soccer tournament. It's like, Italy is our sport, not your sport, Canada. Your sport is hockey. So just stay in your lane. Well, our guys lost the first game and they were really discouraged. They were disappointed because it just so happened to be a bad call, which resulted in a penalty kick and they lost the game and they were dejected, they were discouraged, they were frustrated, but they regrouped. And as the tournament progressed, the boys from Canada just started playing better and better and better. And the short of it is, the Canadians who were trash-talked at the beginning of the tournament, the guys who lost their first game, the guys who were so discouraged and dejected, they ended up winning the whole thing. <laughs> Woo, go Canada. <laughs> but the encouraging thing is simply this. You can have a bad start and still end up finishing well. That's the awesome thing. The end of a matter is better than its beginning. Now, to help further illustrate this truth, can anybody tell me who this fine-looking gentleman is right here? What if I tell you that his name is Pete Best? Does that give you any insight? Now, before I explain more about our friend Peter, what about this guy? Can anybody tell me who this guy is? 
Yeah, of course. Oh, huh, that's Ringo Starr. He's the drummer for the Beatles. Well, here's the rest of the story. Ringo was not the first drummer for the Beatles. Pete Best was the first drummer for the Beatles. Pete Best actually played with the Beatles for two years from 1960 to 1962. In 1962, he was dismissed by the group, and there's some debate as to why, but it was then that Ringo Starr joined the group, and the rest, obviously, is history, and it's not that Ringo is that great of a drummer, right? I mean, in fact, British comedian Jasper Carrot once quipped because he was asked at that time, is Ringo the best drummer in the world? Because look at the fame of the Beatles. And his response was, no, he's not the best drummer in the world. He's not even the best drummer of the Beatles. And so the success of the Beatles was not dependent on Ringo, but he joined the group at the right time in musical history. For whatever reason, Pete Best could not, did not endure with the Beatles, which resulted in him missing out on an incredible future and legacy. And there's different stories as to why. You know, when a group gets together, you need to find that right chemistry. But I can only imagine the thoughts that must have been going through Pete Best's mind over the years as he saw the fame and the fortune and the power of the Beatles rising to that level that they eventually attained. But that success obviously was not there at the beginning, but it was there at the end. Now, to use a slightly more current example, what about this guy? Does anybody recognize him? Oh, man, I don't even have to preach. It's just proven my point. This guy is a guy by the name of Brian Dunkelman. He co-hosted the show American Idol in its debut season. Now, Brian decided not to return to season two, and here in his own words is why. He says, the truth is, I really left the show to pursue an acting career. I wanted to be a performer and not someone who introduces other performers. It was my decision. I'm not saying it was a good decision, because obviously with the success of the show, it's a difficult decision to think back on and think I did the right thing. To see that it's going to run for the next 30 years, obviously it's really tough not to second guess, but I'm actually watching the show for the first time since season two. Today, Mr. Dunkelman has some gigs at some comedy clubs. More recently, he's driving for Uber. He has a net worth of under $100,000. Whereas his co-host from that first season, a guy by the name of Ryan Seacrest, his 2021 net worth is estimated to be $450 million. He makes $75 million a year. The point is, once again, the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Now, on a smaller scale, just to make it relatable to us here in the room, I remember when my son Joel was in elementary school, around grade three, and it's, it's hard for me to go back there because he's in his second year of university right now, but I remember when he was in grade three, taking him to a cross-country meet at one of the provincial parks in Niagara, and these grade three students were to run two kilometers of a cross-country race, and it was going to be through a forest and around a lake and up and down hills. And I thought, man, that's, that's a lot of running for grade three legs. And now at the start of the race, typical of grade threes, you see all kinds of little grade threes making all their boasts about how they're going to win this race. They talk about how fast they are, how they're going to win. They're wearing their fast shoes. I'm going to win because I'm wearing my lucky t-shirt. Like, there's no end of bragging that happens with grade threes. So I pulled my son aside and tried as best as I could to give him some fatherly advice. It's like, buddy, 
If all the kids go tearing off right at the start, I mean, you're in this for two kilometers. That's longer than you've ever run. So if all the kids go tearing off right at the start, don't let that freak you out. Just be patient. Find a pace that is comfortable for you. Be patient with it all, because if you do, you will end up probably ahead of a lot of these kids that just go booking it right from the start. They give it all they got, and then they run out of steam. In other words, it's important to look at the big picture, to understand that we're in this for a long haul. And sometimes the journey may be tough, but in the end, it'll be worth it if you apply patience to the journey, because the end of a matter is better than its beginning. And patience is better than pride. Now, obviously, you guys didn't come here to church this morning to hear about the Beatles or American Idol or a grade three cross-country race. So we're going to look at the spiritual application of this verse and just see how it applies to our daily lives. Because the Bible actually has a lot to say about finishing strong. And there's also a lot of examples in Scripture of people who started strong but then fizzled out. Started strong, but didn't end strong. You know, people like King Asa or King Saul, Jehoshaphat, Joaz, Uzziah, Hezekiah, even ironically, Solomon, the guy who wrote this verse, the guy who actually penned this little nugget of wisdom that we're looking at in the book of Ecclesiastes, the guy who penned so many of the Proverbs that you read about. I, Solomon started out asking God for wisdom to give Uh, leadership to the nation of Israel after following in his dad's footsteps. And God granted him wisdom. But then as you read throughout Solomon's life, you realize that he started to make some bad decisions. He got involved with people that God told him not to get involved with. And he got involved with certain women, a lot of women, way too many women. And they ended up taking his heart a little bit away from God. And in the end, Solomon didn't end nearly as strong as as, as what he was meant to finish, despite his great start. It's not how you start, it's how you finish. Even Jesus taught this lesson in the parable of the sower and the seed. If you remember the parable of the sower and the seed, Jesus said some seed fell on the path and the seed was eaten by birds. And then he said some seed fell on rocky places and it sprung up quickly, but then withered away when the sun came out, since it had no strong root. He said, some seed fell among the thorns that choked out the life of the seed. And then finally, some seed fell on the good soil and it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. This is one of those cases where the disciples then came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, I know you're not talking about farming. There's something bigger here. What is the lesson of this parable? And then Jesus took the time to explain to these guys that it really wasn't a a story about farming at all. But again, it was another natural example to explain a spiritual principle of what happens when the Word of God goes out. When the Word of God is preached, when you read it in the Bible, sometimes the Word of God falls on deaf ears, which is like the path. And Satan comes, as illustrated by the bird, and just snatches that seed. So it has no effect on the listener whatsoever. I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people back in the day of Jesus that would leave after his teaching, and maybe they would meet somebody along the road, and they would say, oh, we didn't get there to hear what Jesus was talking about. What was he talking about today? It's like, ah, he was talking about farming, or he said something about fishing. He said something about seeking treasure. I don't know. I really didn't get much out of it, because they missed what Jesus was actually trying to say. 
Jesus goes on to explain about the word that, um, that uh, falls in and gets choked out by the weeds. He says, sometimes it gets into the ground, life springs up quickly, but then the weeds will choke out the life of that plant. And so this happens when you read the Bible or when you're listening to a message and all of a sudden something just hits home with you. You're like, wow, that's here. I, I'm getting excited about what I'm hearing. I'm getting excited about what I'm reading. And you respond to it. And it's life-changing. And you find it having an effect. But then what you experience in your life does not line up to the promise that you received. And there's the danger where sometimes when you experience a circumstance that challenges the promise that you received, and you think, well, wait a minute. I know the Word of God says this. But this is what I'm experiencing in my life. And this is more of a reality to me. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going to doubt what the Word of God says. And now all of a sudden, that promise that you held on to, it gets choked out by the cares and the anxieties of life. Whereas true faith is being certain of what you do not see. It's like, okay, I know that this is what the Word of God says. And so I'm going to hang on to that, which is basically what the fourth scenario of Jesus' seed illustration is, that sometimes the Word of God gets planted so deep in your heart that you hang on to the promises of the Word of God so that when that Word gets challenged by life, you're like, you know what, I know these are my circumstances, but I'm going to hang on to what the promise of God is until I see these things realized in my life. And the next thing you know, you see God's faithfulness come through. And now all of the things that you are challenged by, you see the Word of God coming and have an effect now on your life circumstances. Now this, obviously, this fourth scenario is the example that we're supposed to follow. That whenever you hear the Word of God, whenever you get into the Word of God, when the Holy Spirit brings a promise to you that you hang on to that, said, yes, I'm hanging on to this verse. I know that my circumstances are this right now, but I know the Word of God says this, so I'm going to hang on to what the Word of God says. But the example of the seeds that sprout up quickly and sometimes die out. It's just another illustration of the text that we are looking at this morning where something seems to have a great start, but then something happens that just kills it. In Matthew 13, verse 20, Jesus would put it this way, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. It's a great start. Poor finish. No wonder the Bible says that the end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. And unfortunately, what happened in this parable, the seed that had a great start but not a great finish, it happens to people all the time. All the time. There are so many examples around us every day of people who had a great start in their walk with God. And then all of a sudden, something happened. Something that happened that just seemed to kill whatever good God was doing in their lives. Something just killed whatever was happening in their journey with God. And Jesus said, persecution comes at times because of the word. So when I mention persecution, it's not just the persecution that happens in other parts of the world where Christians are literally given their lives, they're literally being imprisoned or beaten, their life is being threatened. The persecution or the testing of the word doesn't even have to come at that level. Sometimes trouble just comes as a way to test our faith. 
As we hang on to a promise of God, and next thing you know, that promise is being tested, and we are now at that point of decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to hang on to the promise of God, or are we going to allow the circumstances of life to cause us to doubt what the promises say, and then all of a sudden that word gets choked out of our lives? And again, sometimes circumstances are enough to knock us for a loop as those things get challenged in our lives. And maybe it's because people think that once you come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that your life is going to be easy. But God never said that. He never promised that. And so they start their journey only to discover that maybe they still have some issues to wrestle with. Maybe there's some things that they still have to work through. But instead of enduring, they find themselves just giving up because they thought that things would just be easier. You know, maybe some people have experienced too much hypocrisy in the church. They've been hurt by the church. And that's not easy to process when the church hurts. Because the church should not be like that. People read about what church is supposed to be like, and they just don't see it played out, and they get discouraged, and they want to give up. And sadly, sometimes they do give up. In other words, some people may have had a great start in their walk with God, but something happened along the way, and now they find themselves struggling a lot in the journey. But the Bible never says that things would be easy in this walk with him. Jesus never promised that. In fact, if you're going to jump into this thing, being a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to look at the big picture and to understand that this really is a race of endurance. It's not a quick sprint, and we're supposed to consider the cost, just not how we start, but what it's going to take to finish. And how are you going to run the race? How are you going to run the race so that you finish strong, regardless, maybe, of how others are choosing to run their race? In Luke chapter 14, the Bible says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and his children, his brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And you read that, you think, man, that is a hard teaching. Are you saying that Jesus wants us to hate our families? Of course not. But what Jesus is trying to illustrate in this is that following him is serious. And when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's about advancing his kingdom and not ours, which means at times it's not going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In the very next verse, this is what Jesus says, and anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And then if you consider the cross, it's a, it's a symbol of death. It's a symbol of pain. It's a symbol of torturing. It's a symbol of dying to oneself. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He never said, if you want to follow me, pick up your tambourine and come skipping along behind. It's going to be an amazing journey. He never said that at all. And this is why Paul, even as an encouragement to the church in Galatia, said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And then in Colossians, he gives this encouragement. He says, set your hearts and your minds on things above and not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then, like Jesus so often did as he's going through with this teaching, he uses a practical example to explain a spiritual principle. Jesus continues to say, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? 
For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. In other words, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. He continues to say, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is, neither, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, this would be another time where Jesus was saying, like, do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not even really about building a tower. It's not even about a war. It's not even about salt. There is a bigger picture here that I'm trying to describe to you about finishing strong. And if you have ears to hear, you're going to hear the spiritual principle that I'm trying to say to you is basically what Jesus would be saying at that time. It's not how you start, it's how you finish, understanding that sometimes the race is not easy. How many of you know that sometimes the race that God calls us to run will knock the stuffing out of you? Absolutely. Here's the thing about the race. It's not a nice little race around a professional track. That's not the race God calls us to run. I remember when my kids did track and field in elementary school, and if they finish strong, as you know, happens in all the different schools in Ontario, you move on and you compete regionally against some of the other kids in the other schools. And so our kids, they start out at Glen A. Green, which was their elementary school. Now, if they did well, they would move on to the next stage, and that event was held at the Niagara Olympic Track Club. Now, the track at the elementary school horrible, just horrible. It was gravel. It was uneven. Like, it was just in really, really bad shape. But then you go to the Niagara Olympic Track Club. It was so nice. The track is cushioned. It's rubberized. It has professionally painted lines. To walk on that track was like walking on marshmallows. But here's the thing as far as our race with God goes. He does not have us on that kind of a track. It's not a cushy track. This is not a 100-meter sprint. We are on a lifelong marathon with him. You know, to use a, to continue on with a race analogy, it's like the race God has us on is more like a triathlon with obstacles. You know, it starts off like with the swimming portion. Say, you know, you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe you go, well, you know what, I want to take the next step, and I want to get baptized, and now you're in the water. And you're thinking, oh, man, this is great. My life is starting out perfect. I realize how much God is forming. He loves me and everything is just working out well because God is on my side. And now you jump into the water, but instead of nice calm waters, there are times when you're going to go through seasons and the water's going to be rough. There are times you're going to be just swimming along. Next thing you know, there's a thunderstorm. You're like, where did these sharks come from? Why are there jellyfish in this water? This is not what I signed up for. And you still try to get through the swimming portion, this difficult season in your life, and then eventually it kind of ends, and you enter into this next season. You're like, oh, God, thank you that I'm out of that swimming portion. And then you pick up your bike, and you start this next season of your journey, and you're starting to cycle. And it's good for a while. 
you're coasting along. The next thing you know, you get to a portion of the road that's filled with sinkholes and potholes. It's got steep inclines and descents, and there's a tornado off to the side you have to keep an eye on while you're trying to cycle up this mountain. And you're thinking, man, I think I preferred the water. This season is worse than that last season. What is going on? Is there something wrong with me? There is absolutely nothing wrong with you. It's all part of the race that God has us on. Eventually, you might find yourself getting through the cycling portion of that season in your life. And you put down that bike, and now you're on that running portion. You're like, thank God I'm through the water. Thank God I'm through the cycling. Now I can just start running. And it's beautiful. And you're running along thinking, oh, God, thank you. I'm, I got this Christian thing down pat. I've made it through the water. I made it through the cycling. And next thing you know, you turn a corner. And you're going right through the middle of this road. And on either side, there's people. And as you're running, they have dodgeballs. And they're throwing dodgeballs at you. A dodgeball of accusations and discouragement and criticism. And you're just getting pelted left, right, and center. And you're thinking, wait a minute. Weren't you guys on my team? Why are you hitting me with dodgeballs? And the next thing you know, you look up and you see a flock of pigeons with digestive issues. And they're just covering you. The point is, the race that God is calling you to run is not an easy race. It is a marathon. So how should we run this race that God calls us to run? And I think it's an important question for us to ask, because if I were, were to take a guess, I would um, hazard a guess to say that if I were to take a poll of this church this morning, I would have to believe that everybody would say, you know what, I want to finish this race with God strong. I want to know that when I reach the end that I finished it strong because not everybody does. But again, Jesus never said, once you come into a relationship with him, your life is going to be easy. Jesus never promised that. But do you know what Jesus did promise? He promised that he would walk with us. He promised that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. The Bible says he's our ever-present help in times of trouble. He promises that he would be there for us to cast our cares upon because he cares for us. The things that you're bothered by, the things that you're anxious by, the things that are taking up real estate in your mind, Jesus says, throw them on me. I, I want them because I care for you. Jesus offers himself as someone which we can yoke ourselves to, understanding that sometimes the race is not going to be easy. Sometimes you're going to have to run right through the valley of the shadow of death. But then you look at the encouragement and says, when that happens, don't be afraid because I'm with you. My rod and my staff, they're going to comfort you. And it's important to understand everything that God has made available to us because it helps to keep things in perspective that we would have the right mindset to finish strong. We say, you know what, I'm going to take all these thoughts and make them captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Because I know what Jesus Christ has to say about this race. And you know what, how could we not finish strong? Especially when we are given the invitation by Jesus Christ himself that we can yoke ourselves to him. The one who ran the ultimate race. The one who finished stronger than any other person in history. Who defeated hell, death, and the grave on the cross and rose again victorious. The one who literally has all the bragging rights if he wanted them. And now this same Jesus is saying to us, Yoke yourself with me. We're in this together. I know how to finish this race strong. Stick with me. 
See, the Bible says in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30, this is what Jesus literally says to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, and sometimes when I read this verse, I think, well, maybe this is where the analogy breaks down a little bit for us, because maybe we don't understand fully what the word yoke means. I mean, how could we? Again, I don't know for sure, but I would hazard a guess to say, and this is not me being prophetic, but I would assume that 100% of you here today are not going to go home to take care of your oxen. Would that be fair to say? Whew. All right. It's like, oh, Pastor Dave, you're offended me because I have a whole lot of oxen at home. I would even go so far as to say that none of you have cows to plow your fields. Would I be right? And again, you're probably a field. <laughs> Who has a field? Pastor Dave, I don't think you should be at uh, Parkway this morning. The 1800s called. I think you were supposed to preach to them today. So maybe when we come across a verse like this, where Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, we miss out on what he is saying because we really don't have a frame of reference for that. So what does it mean to be yoked to something? Now, to use a slightly more modern example, and this one might not even be relatable either, but how many of you have ever been in a three-legged race? All right, so you're going to have to back me up on this one. I remember when I was going to church Sunday school picnics, there was a time when the adult would say, all right, kids, come on up to, the, to this line. We're going to have a three-legged race. Choose a partner to get yourself tied to, and then you'd have to find somebody that you tie your leg to as you race towards the finish line. Now, kids being kids, when you look over your option, you want to be tied to the right kid. You don't want to be tied to the kid that stumbles out of his lawn chair and then trips over a dandelion as he tries to get to the starting line. You think, yeah, you know what? No. And maybe you were that kid. Maybe I was that kid. But that's not the kid you want to be tied to. You want to be tied to the kid that's fast or the coordinated kid or maybe the experienced kid or maybe the kid that is like the three-legged race champion of middle school. You want to be tied to that kid. So Jesus is basically saying to us, I am willing to partner with you in this race of life. I am inviting you to tie your leg to my leg, and together we're going to do this. That's the invitation that Jesus Christ literally gives to us. He's like, I know how to finish this race strong. I finished this race stronger than anybody in history, and I'm inviting you now to tie your leg to me and then learn from me. That's what that verse actually says. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Again, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. You're tired in this race? You're burdened in this race? Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Tie your leg to my leg and learn from me. We're going to do this together. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, because you will find now that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The two of us together, we're going to do this. And we're going to finish strong. See, Jesus knows what it's like to endure. In a world right now that struggles with endurance, and we see this around us every single day, how many know that we have a tendency to quit all sorts of things? You know, I remember when my kids were in, in high school, in grade 11 and 12, there was like a grade 11 and 12 burnout 
where kids are like, you know what, I'm so tired of being in school. I'm just exhausted. The thought of going to college, the thought of going to university just exhausts me. I just, I just want to enter into the work world and start making money. But then a lot of them that sort of that uh, just say, you know what, I don't want to trade. I don't want college. I don't want university. I'm just going to go and, and get myself a job and just work that. Eventually they grow up and a lot of times they regret not furthering their education or not getting a skill. Learning to finish strong is not easy, but it's the better way to go. What about people who want to lose weight? You know, people try these different diets for a while, and they may have a margin of success, and then they realize, I can't endure. And many of the health experts will say, it's got to be a change in your lifestyle. You just got to think differently. Make a decision that you can stick with, a lifestyle that you can stick with so that you'll be able to endure. You know, same thing with exercise programs. We get... You know, our, our Fitbit, my wife got me a Fitbit for my last birthday. You know, at the start, you're like, woo, 10,000 steps a day. Look at me go. And then all of a sudden, you know, COVID hits, and you realize that your office now is like the bed to the kitchen table and the kitchen table to the couch and the couch to the bed. And then you look at your Fitbit at the end of the day, it's like 80 steps. <laughs> this thing's broken. What a piece of junk. <laughs> but your success is in your endurance. It means you actually got to do something. You know, what about music lessons? There's so many people that took music lessons as a child. How many of you regret quitting music lessons as a kid? Not just me. I did. <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time. There's a problem with giving up, but what's even more dangerous is when people bring this into their relationship with God, where they want to give up on following him because they find that the journey is just too hard that the race is just too difficult. They want to give up on being obedient. They want to give up on praying. They want to give up on just following him. But God wants us to finish strong. You know, I think about what the Apostle Paul said in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, where Paul writes, For I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to those who have longed for his appearing. See, his race was not easy, but he understood something, that the end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. And he knew that there was an incredible reward waiting for him if he should finish strong. This is why he says, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me. This isn't just for me. He's like, this is for everybody who has longed for his appearing, which includes all of us. He ran a tough race, but he endured to the end. He crossed the finish line, and he got the reward. See, sometimes the race is not easy. Sometimes you compare your race to somebody else's race, and you say, you know what? My race seems a lot harder than that person's race, and that's not really fair. How come my race is harder? You know, and you see this even in the New Testament where Jesus would tell Peter what he was going to have to do at the end of his race. He says, you're going to be led away to a place that you don't want to go. And Jesus was talking about the kind of death that Peter was going to die in order to fulfill his obedience to Jesus Christ. And obviously it was shocking. And Peter looked at John and says, well, what about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I come back, what is that to you? I'm asking, what kind of race are you going to run, Peter? See, we are accountable for our own race. 
the race that we're going to run. So the question is, what are you going to do? Are you going to run a per- proper race? Don't let the others or the way other people run their race affect the way that you run yours. Don't be on the receiving end of this verse. And in one sense, we can say, okay, I'm comforted to know that I'm not the only one who this has happened to. But Paul had to address a situation in the Galatian church. And in Galatians 5, verse 7, he said this, you were running a good race. You were doing so well. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. That's what he had to say as he addressed a situation in the Galatian church. He said, stay the course because there's a great reward waiting for you on the other side. The end of the matter is so much better than its beginning. When talking about endurance, Jesus would say in Matthew 10, 22, he says, all men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. See, standing up for Jesus and finishing strong, that's what Jesus encourages us to do. And he even says, I'm willing to run this race with you. Tie yourself to me. It's not how we start, it's how we finish. And the goal is for us to all finish strong. And Jesus makes it possible for us to finish strong. And the reward at the end is so much better than what we could even possibly imagine. You know, yes, we get a little glimpse of what God has in store for us, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. The Bible continues to say in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. What God has in store for his children at the end of our race is so much bigger than we could ever possibly imagine. This would be one of those scenarios where it's like, how can us with our finite minds even begin to understand what the mind of an infinite God has in store for his children? So we are encouraged to run this race with perseverance, knowing that the end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. And as I close, here's the thing that I love about God. And worship team, you can come back. What happens if you are running the race and you messed it up? What happens if at one time you were one of the salty ones that Jesus referred to, but you lost your saltiness? Jesus said, salt that loses its saltiness would be thrown out. So you might be thinking, well, is there hope for me? Because I know that I was one of the salty ones, and I lost it along the way. And although that may be true in the natural, that natural salt, if it loses its saltiness, it's impossible for that salt to be made salty again. But when God is in the picture, here is what he encourages us with in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus says, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. So even if something gets messed up along the way, there is something reassuring in this verse that the end of the matter is better than its beginning. Patience is better than pride. And it's here where I find this verse has another application. The Bible says in Philippians 1.4, Paul writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he, referring to Jesus, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What Jesus has started in your life, he is able to finish. 
what Jesus started in your life when you make that decision to say, Jesus, I just want to yoke myself with you. I'm just going to tie myself with you. Yeah, I stumbled. Yes, I fell. But Jesus, you were right there to pick me up. He said, you know what? Here, tie yourself to me. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. We're going to get through this race together. And that's what Jesus encourages us to do. And you know, and if during that process, while we're running a race, I don't know if you can relate to this. How many of you know when God starts something and you think, okay, God, I got it. And you sort of like take control and you start to do things your own way or in the flesh and then things get all messed up. And we have all been there. We have all been there. Or else why would even Paul write this in Galatians 3.3? He says, are you so foolish after beginning with the spirit? Are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And we've all been there where God starts something and we're like, yeah, God, I got this. And you go running off in a direction thinking that you know what you're doing. And next thing you know, things get messed up because that's not the direction God had you go. What's comforting is that even in those times, the good news is this. The Bible reminds us in Revelation 22, 13, Jesus says this about himself. Jesus, the one who invites us to be yoked to him. Jesus, the one who says, I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He says in Revelation 22, 13, I am the Alpha and I'm the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, if Jesus starts something in your life, he can finish it. If Jesus starts something in your life and you take control and you mess it up, Jesus can still step in and finish it. He's not just the Alpha. He is also the Omega. And Jesus can take us to where he wants us to go if we make the decision to yoke ourselves with him. He is able to get us to the finish line. And the encouraging thing for me, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I know this, whether you're in-house, whether you're watching online, if we are listening to this message this morning, it means this, all of us right now are still running the race. We're still in the race. Therefore, we still have the opportunity, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we all have the opportunity today to make the decision to finish strong because we're still running right now. The end of a matter is better than its beginning and patience is better than pride. And we have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who says, wherever you are, I can just come right beside you right now. You can link yourself to me, and together, we're going to finish this race and finish strong. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much this morning for the plans and the purposes that you have for each and every one of our lives. Lord, we are all on a journey with you. We may be at different stages of that journey, but God, we are all still running this race. There are times where we have stumbled, where we have fallen, where we felt like giving up, where we think, you know what? There's just too much that has happened. I've lost my saltiness. And we look in the word and we almost get discouraged thinking, well, your word says that we cannot be made salty again. So what hope is there for me? But Jesus, we also see so many examples of what you said that with God, all things are possible. Lord, your word reminds us even in the Old Testament that though a righteous person falls, he gets back up. Jesus, you encourage us to come to you that we can cast all of our cares upon you all the times that we have failed, all the times that we have messed up. 
you invite us to come into that relationship with you and to tie our leg to your leg, to be yoked together with you so that we can learn from you. And you said in that season that your yoke is easy, your burden is light. You, you never meant for us to run this race by ourselves. We can partner with you. And that is just such an awesome thought. That Jesus, you are with us. Nothing can get between the two of us. Nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us. So Father, I pray for this church this morning, those who are here in-house and those who are watching online, that if they found themselves discouraged in the journey, when they found themselves almost feeling like a failure because of that race, God, I pray that even right now in this moment, that there would be a turn, that we would take every thought captive and make it obedient to you, Jesus Christ. That we would make the decision to yoke ourselves with you, that we would get back up and start to run this race with you, knowing, Lord, that at the end of it, there is that crown of righteousness. The Lord, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ask for or even possibly imagine. And so, Father, I pray now that every lie of the devil would be broken and that people would understand just how valuable, how loved they are and how, God, you are for us in this journey. You are for us in this race. You created us to reach that finish line. And the end of the matter is so much better than the beginning. We're so grateful that what you have started, you will be faithful to bring it to completion as we learn to commit ourselves to you and depend on you. And Lord, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church.